0: Welcome to Stratford Lutherans Sermon Podcast. I am Pastor Alex and this is a podcast that each week will deliver a new sermon message. These are taken directly from our ongoing sermon series and you can find them in on YouTube if you would like to watch them, but these are here for your listening pleasure. And I am so thankful that you have taken this opportunity to hear this particular sermon. And as always, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me. I am on Instagram at quorum.dale.life. You can reach me at Undying Light Ministries as I host that podcast, Undying Light. And I'm a co-host of a Matter of Truth podcast. This is just a means to allow my sermons to uh, be listened to at your convenience as a listener. And again, I just want to say I am very appreciative of you taking this opportunity to listen. Now, here's this week's sermon.
1: The first lesson for today is taken from Isaiah, chapter 65, beginning at the first verse. I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is <clears throat> that is not <clears throat> good. Following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks, who sit in tombs and spend the night in secret places, who eat pig's flesh, and broth of tainted meat is in their vessels, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. These are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silent, but I will repay. I will indeed repay into their lap, both your iniquities and your father's iniquities together, says the Lord because they made offerings on the mountains and insulted me on the hills. I will measure into their lap payment for their former deeds. Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and they say, do not destroy it, for there is a blessing in it. So I will do for my servant's sake and not destroy them all. I will bring forth offspring from Jacob and from Judah, possessors of my mountains. My chosen shall possess it, and my servants shall dwell there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our responsive reading is taken from Psalm 3. Please respond as indicated in your bulletin. O Lord, how many are my foes? Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord, blessing be <clears> the <throat> people. The second lesson is taken from Galatians, the third chapter, beginning with the twenty-third verse. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principle of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, for you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord.
0: He would please rise for the reading of the gospel. <clears throat> the holy gospel, according to Saint Luke in the eighth chapter. The when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. It had kept him under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he broke the bonds and had driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed off the steep bank and into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told the city and in the country. Then the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right hand, they were not, in his right mind, and they were not afraid. And those who had seen it told him how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people in the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man with from whom the demons had gone had begged that he might not be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, "Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you." And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. The gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. It should come to nobody's surprise that I am an avid reader, but I don't just enjoy reading theology as interesting as I find it to be. Uh, I also like to read various sci-fi and fantasy books. And one of the books that captivated my attention as a young person was Lord of the Rings. In fact, I'm a huge J.R.R. Tolkien fan, and I have thoroughly enjoyed many of his writings over the years. But what I find interesting about how Tolkien builds this world is that he creates an essentially an entire universe and then he has gods that formed this and then gods that control it and then he builds this earth and in it there's all these diverse groups of people. Obviously it's a fantasy book so there's dwarves and elves and you know goblins and all sorts of evil things as well. But he paints this picture when he writes these books of such an elaborate world that if you were to really think about it, it sounds just like our world. In fact, when we saw the movies, it really does bring to life just the complexities of writing in a fantasy world and that the environment can very much be like the world we live in today. So why do I talk about a fantasy world in this text? Why do I bring up the fact that Tolkien was an elaborate writer and wrote many novels? In fact, what I find is really interesting is that the drive to write The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings was not driven around a storyline that he had in his mind. In fact, he had written a language he'd made his own language and then said i need to build a world around this and that's what led to the hobbit and the lord of the rings i went back and forth this week and how i should approach this particular text because see we have in this large scope we have jesus casting out a demon that then goes into a herd of pigs only to run off the side of a cliff See, as people, we love to have our imaginations painted for us. And I think that's demonstrated in the movies we watch, the books we read, the TV shows, and all the sorts. We relish with the descriptive worlds that can be shown to us. In fact, we enjoy letting our imaginations run wild. With all the possibilities of what could possibly be. In fact it doesn't even have to be a world that's a fantasy or a sci-fi uh, my wife and i went and seen top gun this last week and you leave that movie you you, you you the adrenaline that captivates you because it's it draws you into the movie makes you feel like you're a part of the scenery going on and so when you when you leave you, you have this mindset you're like oh, i could be a pilot too i could fly one of those planes yeah not quite (laughs) but we come to a text like this and oftentimes i find that we just kind of brush it aside a legion of demons possessing a man that can't be real doesn't exist it's fantasy in fact a legion is an interesting name given because if we were to actually understand how this text tells us And we were to put this into the context of the environment that jesus is in with the roman empire being present a legion would have been about four to six thousand roman soldiers four to six thousand so obviously this man isn't possessed by roman soldiers but he's possessed by four to six thousand demons That, to me, is frightening. In fact, if we were to scour the whole New Testament, we would see a plethora of passages showing us this reality. But yet, many of us today, we do not want to confront the reality that demonic possession happens. We try to brush it off and think, oh, that can't possibly be. Because, see, we try to be rational try to say, well, science will tell us what it is that's really happening in this instance. It'll tell us, oh, that can't possibly be because we can't tangibly see it. We can't touch it. No matter what the excuses we try to make, we will always see these examples demonstrated for us in Scripture. In fact is a number of years back one of the things I enjoyed doing before I really went into ministry was I enjoyed watching ghost hunting shows more so because of the history in that that would be told about whatever building or place they were they were investigating but it was always fascinating to see if anything actually did show up and there was always like two types of shows there's one that was done from like a scientific perspective like they go in and they try to you know debunk the things oh the door opens well it's because you open that door and the wind pulls it or there's a clattering when the wind blows stuff like that but then there's the other type of show that's everything that happens is demonic there's evil spirits everywhere and people are possessed and terrible things happen and it's dark and gritty There are always two interesting shows that go back and forth on this. And I always found that interesting. But now as I had ventured into theology deeper, I start to see that there's commonalities of both of those aspects that are really present in the world. Because truth be told, if if Scripture tells us this, then there obviously must be something to it. And we see this all throughout the Gospels. In fact, in Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus is going around Syria healing and doing all these other miracles and also casting out demons. In fact, if we were to take an account of all of these, we would really have countless examples of people being possessed. And so this text is unique in some aspects, but it is also Has a lot in common with other passages the fact that this man was possessed was not something out of the norm in this time but yet as we would think today that can't possibly be that's left for hollywood this is the reality though one that we all share in because as truth be told if as descriptive as J.R. tolkien was in his day as well as he paints his picture of the world as well as descriptive literature, narratives that it gives us to let our imaginations run wild, it pales in comparison to the real world that we live in. More importantly, it pales in comparison to the supernatural world that we have no ability to see, but we certainly have the ability to experience. While we may not actually be able to physically see a demon we should know that they are still actively present in this world today. And let me add this. They're not short little figures that are red and they're running around with little pitchforks and horns. In fact, this was cultivated out of the medieval times to make fun of demons. Try and make light of them. Because in that time, everything was frightful to the people. And so if they needed... An edge on something they made them to be comical and that's kind of what we get when we start to think about demons as just these little things running around or you know something that's just doesn't look right but it's just kind of funny to look at and yet throughout all of history we see that we try to put an image to something we can't see if we were to go to the scriptures and we were to cultivate out what it is a demon looks like we would see not so descriptive terms but we would get an idea jude and peter both account this that demons were former angels that were cast out from heaven when satan fell we should also note that there is no physical structure to them as we are physical beings they operate solely in the spiritual realm They are constantly looking for humans to distract, deceive, and separate from the love of Christ. And in some cases, possess. So while the movies and the arts throughout history give us an imagery of what we might think they look like, it really, again, falls short to the mysteries and the complexities of the supernatural world that we exist in. And so I'll also add this demonic possession doesn't just end with the apostles. It's not isolated to them, it's not isolated to the Roman Catholic Church because they have an actual position of priest called a demonologist. Protestants don't generally get into this. And which is why many may think that this doesn't matter for us today, we can't possibly even begin to see and understand demons. But for the Lutherans, Luther paid very close attention to it. In fact, it was something that was always actively on our minds throughout history, because we go back to the early church and we see that demonstrated. The early church fathers understood what it took to cast out demons. And so it's not just isolated to the Roman Catholic Church, it didn't just end with the apostles, but this is something that has continued through the church age and well into today. They continue to possess unbelievers. But for the believer in Christ, we can rest assured that we won't be possessed. But you can surely be influenced by them. Tempting us to follow through with that sin. Tempting us to do whatever is on our hearts. Tempting us to be angry at situations that are just beyond our control. Tempting us... For all sorts of sin. As usual, I can just continuously go on. But most importantly, what they do is they drive the Christian into a realm of doubting God's Word. Now we can spend our, the rest of our time talking about all of these demons and all these passages and all the sorts. But I want to really focus on another aspect of this passage. That is this man... The one who is possessed by demons is also an image of a man living under the law. As described in the passage Legion, naked, shackled, kept under guard, breaks free and goes lives in the tombs, much like a man living under the law, bound and shackled, chained to death. See, the law will only ever weigh us down, much like a millstone tied around our necks. And as Christians, we can fall into this camp too. We try to measure ourselves against other people's misfortunes, only to stumble and fall into sin on our own. We can get wrapped up in the past because of a traumatic experience, or we're tortured by the memories of previous sin. Some of us might think we've sinned too greatly for the forgiveness of Christ. Yet, yeah, we'll continually find that Christ is openly giving and offering forgiveness to you. But yet, you continue to sin. That's the paradox of the Christian walk. You'll continue to stumble and fall until the day you pass on and meet the Lord. And that is evidenced by the current climate around us, the current circumstances in the world. So it doesn't take much for the Christian to turn on the news or read the newspaper, get on social media and see the encroaching evil ever closer to our doorstep. In fact, just a short time ago, a young lady and her friend were shot outside of a church in Ames by an angry ex-boyfriend. We live in a time where shootings are frequent, wars are present, pornography runs rampant amongst our young men and women, addiction to drugs and alcohol, addiction to technology, addiction to almost everything, because we try to find and soothe the giant hole in our heart. Wow, we could debate these topics endlessly. These are merely the results of the root problem. Truth be told, we don't even wanna hear what that problem is. We don't like to. We want to go and target what has happened see we don't really have a gun problem or a drug problem or a pornography problem or an addiction problem these are all just symptoms of the root cause and that problem that we have in our hearts is sin we have a sin problem we've always had a sin problem so it doesn't matter how we kill a person whether we use a firearm or a or a block or a brick or a knife a rope People have always been killing people, since Cain and Abel. It is just the circulating rule of the world. And see, this is where the demonic forces feast on this. Influencing people to commit heinous crimes, possessing them to debilitating ends. The world is full of these incidents, and yet, we can always trace it back to sin. See, Satan and his angels were cast out of heaven because of pride. Adam and Eve fell because they doubted God's promise. We too succumb to our own temptations and the influences around us. So how do we combat this increasing darkness? I pondered this question and actually left it up on my screen for a while. Because it's an incredibly difficult question to answer. How can we as Christians take what is in this passage what is happening in this world and be impactful how do we apply our understanding of christ and combat this darkness Again, as you well know, I'm not one for checklists or tasks that you must complete. But I found that as I pondered this question, it really comes back to us as individuals. That we have a great influence of those in our immediate families and friends. Each of us have our own circles that we can love on and, and pour out to we, can have, we have our own people in our lives that we can demonstrate our love that Christ shows us. So while you may not have the ability to go out and actually and, and, and fully change the world around you, you have the ability to change the world of the person near you. See, Christ has set us free to do this. Christ has set us free from sin, from bondage from the darkness. Just as Christ came and exercised this legion of demons out of this man, Christ freed him from the shackles. And then he goes on to proclaim all that God has done for him. We've been freed so that we can love our neighbors and serve them in whatever capacity we find necessary. So the spiritual war rages on around us and we will continuously experience this reality in our own lives we see the darkness that will continue to spread but as Jesus tells us in Matthew 24 these issues will in fact become more and more frequent in fact to be a Christian in this world means you stand against the world you stand opposed to the darkness So while you can't actually stop the darkness from rising and and spreading, we certainly can be a light that Christ has given us. We can be a light in the darkness. In fact, merely believing in Jesus gives you that ability to share this love and forgiveness with those who we might not think deserve it. But more importantly, the truth just doesn't matter to what sin we've committed or what sin those around us have committed. That person, too, can be forgiven. As I've said numerous times, the only sin that is not forgiven is unbelief. It's beautifully demonstrated by Paul who was murdering Christians. And then Jesus shows up in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus and saves Paul. Nobody's out of of the reach of Christ. So the forgiveness goes to all of mankind. So while Tolkien may paint us this beautiful fantasy world, one with a history, with events and wars and peacetime and various peoples, as elaborate as it may be, it pales in comparison to the reality around us. While we may not be able to see this spiritual realm yet we know that there are constant influences in our lives we should know that angels and demons are constantly at battle over the souls of man the truth is even more complex than this while a book may end a movie comes to a conclusion our physical lives and this body will as well come to an end but it doesn't end with that see our spirit will continue on christ will be with us in our death and more importantly we are given that promise but also the promise of the resurrected life so that when christ does return we will be given a glorified body one free of sin So that in death, we can experience and see what our eyes cannot see in this life. The amazing promises of this passage, more than what the eyes can see and bear witness to, is that there is a truth that overcomes this darkness. And that truth is Christ. The truth that can stand against the forces of evil. One that can free people from demonic possession. One that can free people from the bondages of sin and death. That truth is only ever found in Christ. It's not by our ability. It's not by anything we do in this life. But it is solely by Christ alone. Christ commands this demon to flee the man and enter into a herd of pigs. Christ commands them what to do if you didn't notice how the the demons pleaded with Christ send us into a herd of pigs don't send us into the abyss I could write a whole sermon just on that because what it demonstrates to us is Christ is supreme ruler of the universe and the demons bow to him They have to to obey his rule. That is the power of Christ, demonstrated to us in this passage. That no matter how dark the world seems today, Christ still stands triumphant over it. And one day, when he returns, we will all experience the end of sin and death in this world. Because he alone is the one that frees us from that. Amen.